Welcome back to WeCast. We've got some big news making headlines this week as we celebrate another leap year this month. The last time we had a leap day, I was in New York City running the streets and whooping it up at what we can now look back on and say is the last days before COVID. It was the St. Patrick's Day after that leap day that the whole world shut down, and my oh my, how things have changed for all of us since then. Speaking of change, you can expect a dip in the weather this week as we transition out of fall spring and back into second winter. Expect temps to dip back down into the 30s and 40s with a promise of moisture before the end of the week. From the Trailhead Sound Lab in Natarita, Colorado, this is a 141 production in cooperation with the Rimrocker Historical Society and the San Miguel Basin Forum. This is volume 74, issue number 39 of the San Miguel Basin Forum, bringing you all the headlines out of the West End of Colorado for the week of February 28th, 2024. The price of uranium as of February 19 is $101.95. All right, making headlines this week, we've got big news on the Dolores River. Monument discussion rattles West End by Reagan Tuttle, editor. The proposal of the National Monument along the Dolores River has rocked the West End, and many are trying to figure out what a monument would accomplish or limit. The forum had a meeting last week with proponents to ask questions. Mason Osgood of Sheep Mountain Alliance and Telluride was present. So was Amber Clark, the executive director of the Dolores River Boating Advocates. Scott Braden, director of the Colorado Wildlands Project, was in the meeting too. Clark said the monument discussion is not new. She said it's been in the works for 50 years. Do we need a monument status? Clark said yes, in order to keep things, quote, the way they are, end quote. Braden added that the people who want the monument aren't from the front range. He said they're regional locals. Clark said at this point, outreach and discussing the map is what the focus is. She said the map boundaries are not firm for the proposal. Quote, public input is important to us, she told the forum. The forum explained that many in the West End are opposed to the monument because they're concerned they'll lose the rights they have now on public lands. The forum asked if hunting, fishing, or grazing is permitted on a national monument. Clark said they are. She headed her group has excluded 95% of active mining claims in the area it's proposing. The forum asked if proponents would hold public meetings to hear the concerns of the people. Clark said advocates have been holding one-on-one listening sessions and communicating with small groups in the West End. She said she and others on the team can be reached at coalition at protectthedolores.org. Who would manage a national monument? Clark said the BLM would continue management of the area, but they'd put a committee into place to oversee it. She said there would be no gates or fees for admission, and the BLM would be the organization to hold upcoming public meetings. Meanwhile, opposers have meetings of their own planned. Nucleus Sean Pond is heading up the group, Halt the Dolores Monument, and a meeting was scheduled for Tuesday, February 27th at 6.30 p.m. in Gateway. Pond also started a petition, which is circulating. He said people need to understand what's happening. The common ground, according to Pond, is that everyone wants to preserve and protect. Who doesn't? But the West End has already lost the coal mine and power plant. With uranium coming back, the West End stands to lose that, too. He said the monument will negatively affect the community by limiting mining and the biggest uranium reserves in the county are local. Pond has investigated the proposed monument boundaries. He said he wants the public to be aware of the half-truths. Even if the boundary leaves claims, companies won't be able to access them with the road closures that come with monuments. 
monument status. Equipment and vehicles won't be able to enter. He said the same is true for grazing. He said ranchers won't get the access they need to deliver water or irrigate. He worries for the future of hunting too, and said access will be an issue. He's concerned the monument will exploit the area. He said it will likely involve construction of ramps, camping services, and more for the purpose of boating. He questions why the monument purports that it expands recreation when recreation opportunities already abound. Quote, "This is probably one of the most wild and remote areas," he said. Quote, "It's preserved and protected. When they make an international tourist destination, then what?" End quote. Pond said it will negatively affect West End Trails Alliance river users already here and more. He has deep roots in the West End and previously worked in Yurvan. He said he lives in Nukla for a reason. To enjoy public lands in solitude, he added the monument shouldn't be a political issue. He said people on both sides of the aisle already oppose the monument. Quote, "We all vote differently," he said. Quote, "But we are all together on this stand." End quote. Another halt. The monument meeting is scheduled for Saturday, March second, at 10 a.m. in Natarita at the old gym. All right, in high school sports news, boys win districts. Girls head to regionals too. By Reagan Tuttle, editor. The boys' basketball team had a great weekend on the court, and the Mustangs took the district championship title on Saturday, earning a ticket to regionals and the opportunity to host the event in the new Nucleus School. The guys defeated Dove Creek on Friday, 55 to 42, and then Debeck for the championship, 54 to 53. Jennifer Dinsmore, mother of Owen Dinsmore, referred to the game as a nail biter on social media. On Sunday, head coach for the Mustangs, Kelly Arnold, said, "Quote: You could say that at the least." End quote. The Mustangs were down by one with 10 seconds left after DeBeck hit a three-pointer, but the Mustangs inbounded the ball and Bryson Rummel passed to Owen Dinsmore, who made the layup for the win. Quote, Owen had a great game and a great weekend, Arnold said. Quote, hitting the game winner was super for him, end quote. Quote, said Bryson Rummel, Steele Arnold and Slade Gillen had been very consistent all season in scoring points for the Mustangs. And Hemi O'Brien had a great game Friday night in district play and put up a lot of points for the team. The guys will practice hard this week and the regional tournament begins Friday, March 1st at home. Then three other teams will travel to Nucla. Quote, it's awesome to host in a brand new school and make teams from the other side of the mountain travel here for once, Coach said. He is planning for a whiteout game on Friday. Arnold has a collection of white Mustang t-shirts that will be given away upon game entry. He'll give away all the shirts he has in stock, and the first people in the door will receive them. Coach encourages fans to white out the stands to support the Mustangs. Last weekend's victory no doubt felt good for senior Steel Arnold, Joseph Casillas, and Hemi O'Brien and Owen Dinsmore. Quote, it was an awesome feeling for sure, Steel Arnold said Sunday morning. Quote, that's what we have been working for and planning for, end quote. He said many of the team members had played together for years, even the underclassmen, because of AAU basketball. He's also proud to host the regional tournament. Quote, traveling is fun and builds a lot, but being able to play in our own house, our own gym, will be a boost, he said. Kelly Arnold, who's also the athletic director for West End Public Schools, found out Monday the teams traveling to the West End for regional play are Flatirons Academy, Briggsdale High School, and Prairie High School. The girls' team had a rougher go but it's not over for them yet. They only played one game for districts and fell to Debeck in the semifinals 32-35. Still, the ladies get to play in the regional tournament, but will have to travel. They will play Friday in Kiowa. If they win, they'll get to compete again on Saturday for a ticket to the state tournament. All right, here's a fun story for Community News. Dog on the Run, Saved by Child by Reagan Tuttle, editor. Punky Linville of Natarita had been grieving for a while. 
She'd lost her dad, a family dog, and had a few other deaths of friends and family members. She'd been working on moving through the grieving process when she decided she wanted to adopt a dog. With a 13-year-old daughter, it seemed like a good thing to do. She visited a shelter in Montrose and wasn't expecting to immediately find an animal, but one three-year-old canine, one of the older dogs in the shelter, made an impression. It wasn't barking or jumping. It was timid and had visible scars. Linville started the process of adoption that day, but had to wait until the animal had been spayed before she could take her home. When the dog was ready for pickup one week later, Linville's wife, Haley Greenberg, agreed to get the animal from Montrose. Only Greenberg had a stop to make at the Uncompagre Medical Center in Norwood on the way home. During that errand on February 16th, the dog made a quick, unforeseen escape. That's when the chase began. A three-day chase that involved people from the west ends of Montrose and San Miguel counties. Linville posted on social media alerting the public to the dog's disappearance. People in Norwood, many of whom Linville had never met, spent time searching for the dog, who only ran when approached. Quote, it was just chaos, Linville told the forum. Quote, absolute chaos, end quote. Folks almost kept catching the frightened animal. Linville is pretty certain the dog had previously been abused and as a result had trust issues. She said the animal appeared afraid of everyone and kept moving further and further out of sight. Linville, with the support of others, tried coaxing the dog with steak or rotisserie chicken. Quote, we tried everything, Linville said. She cried throughout the three-day chase period and worried incessantly about the dog's welfare. Linville began warning people on social media that the chasing seemed to make matters worse. The dog seemed to determined to run. On Monday, though, February 19th, after three days of searching, Linville got a call. A woman in Norwood, Destiny Forbes, was driving with her four-year-old daughter, Raylan, when the two happened to spot the dog on the run. The mother duo daughter had heard that the dog would disappear when chased. They wondered what might happen if they tried a different approach. When the little girl opened her car door and called to the dog, it simply jumped inside. The tears came again for Linville, who was so overcome with emotion. She was relieved to learn someone had the German Shepherd Labrador mix and amazed to learn that the dog was retrieved by the gentleness of a small child. The dog, now named Athena, slept in the UMC parking lot for an hour afterward while Linville composed herself. The owner says that the chaos is settled. The dog is home happy and healthy. Athena is eating her food, interacting with her new canine sister Freya, and has very much taken to Linville's daughter. She enjoys playing ball and especially likes squeaker toys. The family is keeping the dog leashed while on walks to be safe, but Athena seems to have abandoned her urge to run. Linville said she's grateful to local communities for their help. Quote, there were a couple people who were critical, but so many more who were just willing to come out and drive around. They asked me what I needed and checked on me when I was crying in my car, she said. Linville said she had no idea who many of the Norwood people were, but it didn't seem to matter because they were so kind. She said she wouldn't have caught Athena without their help. She remains especially grateful to the Forbes family. Quote, That little girl is my hero, Linville said. All right, in nonprofits news, free insurance help is March 7th, special to the forum. 
While insurance may not sound like the most exciting topic for your nonprofit board meeting agenda or even one you want to spend your lunch hour learning about, it is essential for nonprofits and is as important as planning your next event, fundraising campaign, or budget. Nonprofits may require many different types of insurance, including directors and officers, general liability, automobile, property, fidelity, and more. To help nonprofits navigate the sometimes confusing world of insurance, the Telluride Foundation is hosting an Insurance for Nonprofits workshop. The workshop, taught by Darren Coltranani of Home Loan Insurance, based in Grand Junction, will be held via Zoom on March 7th from 11.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. This free event, taught over the lunch hour, is open to anyone wanting to learn more about insurance options, but nonprofit staff and board members are especially encouraged to attend. Quote, there are many insurance coverages to consider as a nonprofit organization, and the task of review and coverage can be overwhelming, said Coltranari. Quote, directors and officers' coverage is a necessary policy for your board of directors and a standard general liability policy is a must, as well as the state as well as the state requires workers' compensation if you hire employees, end quote. In this workshop, Coltranari will elaborate on these standard policies and examine other common policies required by some grant funders. Coltranari joined the home loan team in 2006 as a commercial property and casualty account executive. His initiative and understanding make for a combination that can be very beneficial for any company or nonprofit organization looking to manage their risk efficiently and effectively. Not only does he hold a construction-specific designation earned solely from advanced education and industry experience, he also currently serves clients in the healthcare industry, nonprofit organizations, human services operations, and more. Coltranari is very passionate about providing quality customer service to his clients, no matter the size and scope of their business. The workshop will be held via Zoom. Participants must register to get access to the Zoom link and attend by accessing (sighs) HTTPS forward slash forward slash us 6 web dot zoom dot us forward slash meeting forward slash register tzlkfucgrtsjh9imz6vpit8x stash rveixgttfmrk I would recommend getting a newspaper or going on the website to access that link. Participants can also access the link by going to telluridefoundation.org and clicking on Upcoming Nonprofit Workshops under the What's New on their homepage. For more information or help registering, people may contact April Montgomery at 970-728-8717 or April at telluridefoundation.org. All right, on page two, we have Van Winkle to lead AgriWest as fellow, special to the forum. Reacting to a problem may be the typical way to deal with issues. Keeping the problem at bay by stopping it in its tracks before it develops is the better solution. That's a philosophy behind AgriWest, an initiative about to be undertaken by the Business Incubator Center thanks to a $262,500 grant from the federal government's Economic Recovery Corps. AgriWest, if it is to succeed, will require vision, collaboration, and hard work. Quite simply, the goal is to bring together the various stakeholders in the local agricultural economic sector to first, identify current concerns or forecasted problems detrimental to the long-term success of the industry, and second, find and enact solutions to those problems before they become impediments or threats to Western Colorado's production agricultural ecosystem. AgriWest was one of 65 initiatives awarded funding from the Federal Economic Development Administration for more than 500 that applied. The charge was to identify a unique economic project or area within a community and then bring together local experts to identify a success 
successful path forward that can be scalable or applied to the other like-minded communities across the nation facing a similar issue. Agriculture has often been considered a recession-proof industry. However, experts agree that the industry must be future-proof to protect vital economic resources from threats from such things as water scarcity, more frequent and severe droughts, workforce and transportation concerns, and quickly evolving technologies. By applying an approach that includes industry leaders from around the region studying trends and understanding research and best practices, and by doing all of that collaboratively, new ideas can be brought forth for policy, discussion, and consideration. Quote, AgriWest is a unique groundbreaking initiative led by the business incubator that will help revolutionize agricultural and food security systems in western Colorado, said Delita Sassoon Bollig, the CEO of the Business Incubator Center. Quote, with 40% of the region's economy relying on agriculture, AgriWest is trying to emerge as a critical and positive tool for the future. It has the potential to shape regional agricultural economic development strategies and fortify the agricultural sector while honoring the region's agricultural roots, end quote. To further strengthen the Economic Recovery Corps' efforts, one fellow per initiative has been identified to help guide its success on a local level. Each fellow has industry expertise matching the local initiative they are paired with and intimate knowledge of the community and region that they will serve as they facilitate meaningful discussions and bring forth collaborative solutions. In Western Colorado, the business incubator is thrilled to announce that Janie Van Winkle has been accepted as the fellow to lead AgriWest. Van Winkle is a rural Colorado native and lifelong beef producer. Having grown up in Unaweep Canyon and later on the Dolores River between Gateway and Yurvan, she learned about land, livestock, and water at an early age. She and her husband owned and operate a successful cattle ranch. Van Winkle Ranch strives to provide high-quality beef, responsible land and livestock stewardship, and create a viable economically sounded industry while furthering economic development in the region. Over the course of the two-and-a-half-year fellowship, Van Winkle will provide technical assistance, planning, and capacity-building support for the initiative. Quote, success will look like honest conversations with all voices in our industry to create a roadmap for a sustainable future for our region as we tackle water scarcity, increased food and production costs, and the benefits and challenges present with workforce, transportation, production, tourism, technology, and changes to the industry, Van Winkle said. Quote, a focus on financial and economic success for both legacy producers are and new innovative will be a priority, end quote. Mesa County Commissioner and Board Chair Bobby Daniel said his, she wholeheartedly endorses and supports AgriWest. She said she has had many one-on-one conversations with constituents involved in agriculture. Quote, this grant creates an opportunity to break down silos and align our effort and work together, Daniel said. Quote, the initiative is a ground-up, locally-driven effort with real experience informing the solutions, end quote. All right, and now for the star of the show, history from the Rimrocker Historical Society, Flour Mills Comes to the West End, Part 5, by Jane Thompson from the Rimrocker Historical Society. The Redville Flour Mill suffered the horrible fire to the mill, and Mr. Mowry's home was also burned. The story of how it happened was just awful and shocking that in a small town like Redville, there could be such a vicious incident happen. Nonetheless, everything was gone, burned to the ground, and the Maoris were left recuperating from this tragedy. An article from the Montrose Enterprise gave the theory which everyone had come to that Maori had bumped a lantern when he was attacked by the intruder in the flour mill, therefore causing the fire in the mill. They also surmised that the fire in the house was caused by Mr. Maori stumbling into the house with his injuries and bumping into another lantern. No arrests were ever made, and there was never enough evidence to search for the assailants hiding out in the mill that morning. 
The case seemed to be have gone nowhere. The insurance adjusters came in, and Mr. Mowry was paid $6,500 for the loss of his mail and home in Redvale. The Mallorys eventually left and went back to Cortez. Over the next several months, there was talk about rebuilding the mill in Redvale, but eventually that idea died away. A brief note in the Telluride newspaper read, quote, Can't be any superstitious farmers in that locality, end quote. An article in the Norwood Post in November of 1914 said, quote, Dame Rumor is busy with the story of a new flour mill, this one to be built at Coventry, unless one of the moneyed men interested has his way in the matter, in which case the mill will be located in Natarita. Further developments will be awaited with interest, more or less, end quote. Even Paradox farmers were talking about a small mill to be built in their valley. No sooner had the ashes settled from the cold January morning in Redville than the Norwood Post in February 6, 1914 issue said about the Norwood Mill, quote, a three and one half ton piece of the new flour mill machinery was raised to its position in the secondary story of the mill. Sunday, we may expect to hear the grind of the new mill ere many days have passed, end quote. An article in the March 26, 1914 Daily Journal had this from the Norwood Post, quote, hot time at the Norwood Flour Mill. Next Tuesday, the ladies' aid, represented by the society's very best biscuit fabricators, will serve hot coffee and rolls or biscuits at Norwood's new flour flour mill. The biscuits are to be made of the first-run flour put out by the mill, and it is safe to say that the affair will be a rich treat. A small fee will be charged, and proceeds will be used in the good work carried on by the ladies' aid. Everybody go, for not only will there be A1 coffee, but a whole lot of other things to make the affair a success. Be there and give the society an opportunity to increase its bank account, end quote. The Norwood flour mill was making flour, and I'm sure the farmers were happy to have a place to take their wheat. The mill seemed to have money issues and lots of problems with machinery. It was down for quite a while after they served those biscuits and honey. The mill finally resumed operations in December of 1915, after the investors ponied up a little more capital. An advertising from the White Brothers Merck Company in January 1916, Norwood Post says the Norwood flour mill was putting out some good flour. Quote, try it and you will buy it, was their motto. They were encouraging folks to, quote, lay in a supply as their price of flour is advancing rapidly, end quote. All of a sudden, in March of 1916, word comes along that Nucla will have a flour mill at last. My goodness, these were competitive little neighbors. When I first started researching this article, I was looking to see if I could find any more information on the Nucla flour mill and found all of these other mills that came along way before Nucla. It's been a saga and a sad one for Redvale, but finally, I will be able to tell the story of the Nucla flour mill. All right, there you have it, folks. Those are the headlines for this week. But there is even more news in store that doesn't make it onto the weekly podcast. For a complete account of everything in the paper, you can jump over to www.sanmiguelbasinforum.com for all the stories as well as the pictures. Or for the most authentic representation, you can go ahead and subscribe to the actual paper, and we'll send it to you every week. However you choose to consume it, it is fine with me. We thank you, Reagan Tuttle, for giving us another edition of our beloved newspaper, and thank you, Jane Thompson, for giving us another snapshot from the archives. Thank you, Johnny Dobbs, for the theme music, and most of all, thank you for listening in. You're the reason we get out of bed and do this every week. But before we go, let's say happy birthday to all the folks supporting the Rimrocker Historical Society and their annual community calendar. All right, on Wednesday, February 28th, we say happy birthday to Jordan Jones, Martin Philbrick, and John and Diana Reem. Celebrate a happy anniversary on February 28th. Happy anniversary, John and Diana. On March 1st, we say happy birthday to Peyton Elizabeth Cairo. 
And happy birthday in memoriam to my dad, Bud Benson. On Saturday, March 2nd, we say happy birthday to Brendan Shoup, Emily Johnson, and Richard Schumerman gets happy birthday in memoriam. Sunday, March 3rd, happy birthday to Hannah Holiday, Joe Garvey, Braxton Salazar, and Jean and Vina Greenwood celebrate another anniversary. Jean Greenwood's our town mayor, so happy anniversary, Jean and Vina. On Monday, March 4th, happy birthday to Megan Schmalls, Sienna Johansson, and Lindsay Minton. And on Tuesday, March 5th, we say happy birthday to Jewel Naramore, Sean Burns, Justin Tooker, and Braden Hawks. And that's a wrap for us this week, folks. From the Trailhead Sound Lab in Natarita, Colorado, this has been a one-for-one one production in cooperation with the Rim Rocker Historical Society and the San Miguel Basin Forum. This has been Volume 74, Issue Number 39 of the San Miguel Basin Forum, bringing you all the headlines out of the West End of Colorado for the week of February 28, 2024. I'm Brock Benson, and we'll see you next week.